Der Fußball ist zurück in der zweiten Liga. Rechte Neckfahne mit dem linken Fuß. Bringt den Ball auf den zweiten Pfosten. Tische! Tor! 1 zu 0 für den VfL Bochum. Da draußen ist der Ball frei. Und jetzt ist er drin. Jetzt ist er drin. Und hier ist Botzen, macht das Tor. Und er ist drin. Buchmann, Buchmann, Buchmann macht das zweite Tor. Da ist das Tor. Der zählt das 2 zu 2. Drist ist wieder da. Größer ist da. Für Rausch, der setzt an zur Flanke, da kommt der Ball, Tor, 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 We welcome you to another episode of the Spider Bundesliga podcast with me, Matthew Karagic. It may be the international break, but that doesn't mean we have we don't have plenty to talk about in the greatest league of the world, that is the Spider Bundesliga. We have quite a bit on the cards today. Of course, we're going to be reviewing all the action from match day 26. And for something a little bit different, we're going to be delving into one of the Spider Bundesliga teams, most namely Holstein Kiel. To help me delve into all this and a lot more is the one and only Toby Hahn. He is a writer for Mir San Rot, the false fullback and total football analysis. Toby, good to have you on. How are you doing? Thanks. I'm happy to be here and talk to you about the second Bundesliga, which is a great league. So, yeah, let's start. Let's, and, let, and that we shall. We're going to start at the Ostderby in Dresden. It was a one-all draw with Magdeburg. Bjorn Rotter scored the opening goal just before halftime. And then second half substitute, Lucas Rosa sparing the blushes of a Dresden side who dominated for the majority of the game. They really exposed Magdeburg in multiple situations, but they didn't do enough to get the victory. Uh, Toby, it was an excellent atmospheric game. Um, how, how did you see this one overall? Yeah, it's like a typical derby. I mean, Dresden and Magdeburg both have great fans. And it was kind of both teams struggle to uh, to stick into the second Bundesliga and to don't get relegated. And you could actually feel that because Dresden actually dominated the game, but without really creating any chances. And if you look at the first goal of Magdeburg, they make so many defensive mistakes because that was just horrible defending on the weak side. And that was too easy. And afterwards, Magdeburg didn't really do anything offensively that much anymore. And usually that's not the best idea to sit back and just hope you win 1-0 because... Yeah, in those games. I mean, in the end, that goal from Dresden was just a long ball into the box and they were positioned too deep and that was too easy. Yeah. Yeah, it was something I actually had a look at was their defensive structure without possession and, and they were almost happy to concede possession and as it got into the final third, then they started to apply pressure. But at that stage, the back four is sitting inside their own penalty area. The three mm. players in midfield, whether it's... Uh, you know, it was Kirchhoff um, and Niemeyer and I think uh, Laprovietti. They just didn't really press the ball carriers enough. And, yeah. and eventually, you know, it took a kind of a hit and hope, you would say, from a Barisatic ball in um, to, to get that equalizing goal. But I think overall, Dresden were probably worthy of the point and, and ultimately probably should have got the three points. I think they were the better side. Yeah, and there was that horrible foul, which was only a yellow card, and no one really understood it. I mean, I, I forgot who played, which player it was from Magdeburg, but that was clearly a red card, and then that game goes completely different. That was the foul on the sideline, I think, uh, where he just fouls him from behind, and usually that's a red card, at least in Germany. 
yeah, that, that we can agree with. From the Osterby, we're going to make our way down to Heidenheim. They hosted Union Berlin. And it was the end of a skid for Heidenheim. They took a 2-1 victory over to Eisenen. Despite Robert Schulz opening goal, Bobby Glatzel and Mark Schnatterer were able to peg it back and, of course, go on and take the win. Of course, on this podcast, Mark Schnatterer is a very much a fan favourite. <laughs> and his goal was something that was very, very special to win that game. It was just typical Mark Schnatter. I think I'm from the region close to Heidenheim and he's an absolute legend here. I was just great with with his left foot. And overall, it was just a good performance of Heidenheim's offense. I just like them with Schnatter, with Dovidan, with Glatzel. They have a lot of speed, a lot of technical, strong players who can, who can just like, they work really well together. And yeah, Heidenheim is an interesting side. They probably don't have a chance anymore to get promoted because they're not that strong but overall one of the good Bundesliga uh, second Bundesliga teams agree yeah. they, they they have been the perennial overachievers of this season for mine I mean I don't think many would have had them in the top six and, and I do agree that three you mentioned of Glatzel, Schnatter and Nikola Dovidan um, has been lethal for them and they were very much prominent in that game in fact Dovidan got a call up to the Austrian national team if memory, memory yeah. serves me correct and he's deserved it and it wouldn't be much of a surprise if Bundesliga clubs are, are ringing the phones to try and get his services. He's a very top player. What I like about Heinem is just it's that typical German team. You defend in a 4-4-2, you have quick counterattacks, you play vertically after winning the ball, and they have solid players. I mean, as a Bayern supporter, I always look at Niklas Dorsch, who was at Bayern last year and now plays in Heidenheim, and I think he's doing quite well. And I watched Heidenheim as well against Kiel. And that was probably the only team who was good enough defensively to kind of stop Kiel. And yeah, just a great team. And Union Berlin, I mean, they are, again, they want to get promoted, finally. So that was just hard for them to lose that game after, after actually leading 1-0 after that mistake from the goalkeeper. Yeah, their, their away form has been a bit suspect. They've been unbeatable at home defensively they just are magnificent but on, but for some reason it doesn't transcend when they go away um, from the forest area and once again I mean they, they were lucky to go ahead as you mentioned Kevin Muller's mistake was was horrendous really I mean keeper of his stature in this league yeah. can't be making mistakes like those <laughs> but but that's a credit to Heidenheim great fighting spirit they came out of half time with a really good energy and intent and yeah they deserve the win, honestly. It's it's a fair result. Yep. The last of our Group 1 games is in Kiel. Uh, they hosted Erzgebirge Hour, and it was a bloodbath. An absolute domination from Holstein Kiel. Five goals to one. Matthias Honsack opened the scoring. A brace for Laszlo Benis, who's of course on loan from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Uh, Masaya Okugawa and Aaron Seidel also chipping on the goals. Jan Holscheid, the only goal scorer for Erzgebirge Hour. I want to talk about Leslo Benes because he's, of course, on loan from Borussia Mönchengladbach. Two goals, two assists, man of the match performance. How did you see his performance and and how do you reckon Tim Volta should use him going forward? He, he was great. He played in midfield, and which is always in the Kiel system, a very dynamic uh, position where you have to move quickly between um, deeper areas where you have to improve the, or to support the build-up and then go forward be aggressive, um, be dangerous, create chances, and he did that quite well. 
So I think he can improve in that system because that's the thing with Walter's system. He can't really adjust that much to his players because the system is perfectly executed by so many players and there are specific roles and they have specific tasks which they have to fulfill. And Benes is one of those players. I mean, I watched Kiel at the beginning of this year and Benes was not really a topic. And I think that's the, the biggest strength of Kiel that they have so many players which they can just throw in and they can perform in that system. And Benes was really, really good. I mean, at Gladbach, they think he's a big talent, so they loaned him out to Kiel. And yeah, I think he's, is he playing next year in the second Bundesliga as well or is he going back to Gladbach? Um, Do you know that? I'm pretty sure it's only just a six-month loan. Oh, a six-month loan. Yeah. But yeah, and and you <coughs> and you look at the midfield talent like Gladbach have. You got Cuisance and uh, and you've got all those guys in midfield. And I think the loan move is, was perfect for him, and he's and he's taking full advantage of that. Yeah, definitely. We're gonna take a quick break. We are gonna make our way to Bielefeld for our Group Two games in just a moment when they hosted Bochum. Und Klos kann nachsetzen, gibt keinen Freistoß nach der Aktion gegen Hochland. Und 3-1! Und 3-1 durch Klaus. Yes, as for mentioned, we start in Bielefeld. They hosted Bochum in such a bit of a North Rhine-Westphalia derby. And it was a win for the hosts. Three goals to one for them, despite falling behind to a Patrick Fabian goal. Andreas Fogel, Sam Fabian Klaus and Jonathan Klaus getting the three goals to give Armenia all three points. And it was a very well-deserved win, I think, in in many opinions. They were much better for longer periods. And um, and and Toby, we, we have to talk about Fabian Klaus, his 10th goal of the season. And since Neuhaus has come in, he has six goals and six assists. So uh, he was fantastic. Yeah, he was definitely. And they just interact so good together, Neuhaus and Klose. And if you just look at the scoreline, the energy Bielefeld could kind of develop at the end of the game was just great with those goals in like 10 minutes, I guess, 11 minutes. And for such a game in which it's only about a derby, because Bielefeld and Bochum, I think they both are not really close to the relegation zone and they don't have a chance for promotion so it's more about self-motivation and then yeah close is always good i mean he's so good for so long for bielefeld and yeah now he's rock and rolling with neuhaus with so many goals and assists and i like him just because he's that striker who can just hold the ball is he's with his strength and yeah i mean that's hard to defend really yeah yeah and he, and he was a menace in this game. He had he scored the penalty, but he assisted the other two goals. Um, yeah. And he has become that focal point since Neuhaus took over from Jeff Sabina. And and you look at the difference in the way that Bielefeld are playing, and and the and almost it's just the energy. It's a better vibe around the club. And 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 I think a lot of people questioned his hiring, but it's been very very successful. I mean, he was really good in Berlin as well as a coach. And he wasn't Drayson, I think. Yes, he was, was always yep. good. Yeah, and that, he was always one of the better coaches in the second division. So I was kind of surprised that um, none of the better teams were actually considering him as a coach. But yeah, now he can give like close and the rest of the team a really good setup that to perform. <clears throat> that he can, that he can. Um, from a Bochum perspective, you know, you you got the goal on the road, you know. There's 27 minutes remaining. Things are looking good, um, but you know I think for Robin Dutt's side, they they capitulated. 
once they gave up that goal, they really looked vulnerable defensively. They were losing the battle in the midfield, and 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 Toby, you have to agree that they they just didn't have the answers when they could have easily done some things to to rectify after conceding. Yeah, it's I don't know I don't know if Robin Dutt is really the best solution for Bochum because Dutt in the Bundesliga he was a solid coach but not always with the greatest ideas offensively and kind of his Bochum team is lacking the ideas how to go forward how to score another goal how to act after they conceded a goal and I'm not really sure if on a long-term perspective Robin Dutt is really the guy who can develop Bochum into a team which fights for promotion again because I mean they were in the Bundesliga for such a long time and yeah their goal should be on a long-term perspective to go up again yes that that it should be for a team that is looking to go up again this season it's Hamburg SVAL they hosted Darmstadt and it was it was a very strange old game but it would be Darmstadt who took a 3-2 victory back Yatta Pierre-Michel Lasogga scoring twice in the opening 16 minutes but then it was a classic capitulation uh, Marvin Merhelm scoring on 52 minutes to be as Kemper on 82 and then in added time two minutes into added time just to keep with the twos Marvin Merhelm getting his brace uh, and an outstanding comeback for Darmstadt. In fact, their third win at the Volkspark Stadion in a row. Um, Toby, uh, take us through it. Um, I mean, after they sacked Christian Titz, I was I was really happy when Hamburg had Christian Titz, and I was a big fan of that game uh, of that game style of that playing style. And under Wolf, I mean, they scored two goals that early, and they can't control the, the game, and that is kind of a problem for a team who wants to. Um, wants to get promoted or probably gets promoted and wants to stay in the first division because if you can't control a game after yeah, leading with two goals, it's actually getting hard. And if you take a look at the goals Hamburg conceded, I mean, the first one was that long ball behind the, the, full, uh, the back four and they didn't apply any pressure on the ball carrier and they defended poorly. I mean, Bates made a huge mistake when they conceded the last goal and I think that's kind of always the struggle Hamburg has they can't control the game and they don't know how to hold the ball and always play forward so an opponent like Darmstadt can actually settle and hope for for a chance because they make mistakes I mean Hamburg has young defenders Van Drongelen and Bates they usually make one or two mistakes per game and yeah that's kind of the struggle and if they don't improve that next year they will struggle in the first division as well yeah, couldn't agree more. But but we'll talk the positives of Darmstadt. Um, it's their third game under Dimitrios Gramotsis. Uh, it's been it's two wins from three, and and that win in particular heading into the international break. Uh, that there was were, important. It was when you consider the question marks uh, that they were facing over the previous few weeks. Uh, they've still got the game in hand, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so they're in a good position to avoid any sort of relegation threat and it's just important for them to continue on their season and then and then build for next season. I think that's really the goal yep. for them. The last of our Group 2 games is in Regensburg. They hosted Greuther Fertz and this game, a Bavarian derby, had a bit of everything. Um, it wasn't pretty on the eye test, but it was Greuther Fert who took the three points. Has to be said, though, the red card from Marcus Palonius 
Really changed the game. Marco Caligiuri scoring on 71 minutes and then David Raum in stoppage time getting that. In fact, it's the first win this season under Stefan Lytle that they've scored more than one goal. Yeah. So it tells you all you need to know about Greutzefurt. So Toby, uh, I guess, was it really a red card? Um, yeah, not really. No. I was not really sure. That was kind of a strange game because Regensburg started strong. But yeah, after that red card, everything changed. And if you take a look at how they defend set pieces, I mean, I think they, they conceded six of their nine goals from set pieces. And the goal from Caligiuri was also poorly defended because no one was at the second post and that was kind of too easy. And yeah, Regensburg is just too inconsistent to yeah, be a bigger surprise in the second division, I would say. Yeah. Especially at home, they've struggled. Last season, they couldn't buy a point away from home and and the Continental Arena was a staple for them. They were guaranteed to get points. And this season, it, yeah. hasn't, it hasn't been the case. They've really struggled. That being said, you, you, we, I guess we take into account, you know, the, the monetary, you know, figures in, when you compare some of the other teams to them. They obviously don't have as much money. They are still overachieving yeah, sure. when you think about it. You know, they're still, they're not going to get relegated this season. Um, they've done quite well. And from a, I guess, a Greuther Furt point of view, crucial win. Um, another team like Darmstadt that, you know, you could have almost put in that relegation scrap if things didn't go their way. Um, a big win. And now you would say would take them out of that conversation. Yeah. I think so. And I'm just surprised that a team like Greuther Furt is actually struggling that much in the season like Darmstadt and it just shows the strength of the second division that everything is so close that if you don't perform on your absolute best you just get in that relegation battle but it's important for it to be out of that now or more or less out of that now so you can plan for the next season and to improve yeah and for Regensburg of course they are just happy they played a solid season they can because I think the worst thing is if you get promoted to the second division and immediately go down to the third division again because it's just about the monetary side as well. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Um, that's all from our Group 2 games. Uh, we only have just the two games remaining. Uh, group 3 games, we're going to start in Paderborn when they hosted Ingolstadt. And the shot to the Paderborn das Our Group 3 games was meant to start in Duisburg when they hosted FT Köln, but that game was postponed. Uh, due to poor pitch conditions and will be replayed on the 4th of April. That was because of a third division game between Erdogan and Fortuna Köln, and they absolutely hacked the pitch to bits. Um, Toby, not a lot, not a whole lot to say about the pitch conditions in Duisburg. Um, pretty disappointing that this game didn't go ahead. Um, overall thoughts? Yeah, it's just the, the weird situation that um, Bayer Erdogan, you have to understand that they have a lot of money, they got a lot of money from an investor and they ha have basically a team of Bundesliga all-stars and that's kind of weird for Germany that a team with an investor of the third division can actually decide, okay, we play our game and therefore you can't play your second division game. That was just strange, strange for me. Yeah, it was and disappointing. Uh, so yeah, that game will be played in midweek in a few weeks time. We will go straight to Paderborn. They hosted Ingolstadt, and it was a 3-1 win for the hosts. 
Uh, similar to the Bochum game, essentially, uh, Constantine Kirschbaumer was to open the scoring, ex Bielefeld. Um, and then Paderborn heaped on the goals. Uh, three goals in 10 minutes. Uh, Philip Clements, excellent goal from outside the box. And then Christopher Atwi Ajay scoring a brace. Um, it's a good win for Paderborn, like Heidenheim and Kiel. They've got themselves back into winning ways. But for Ingolstadt, Toby, they are in real trouble. Yeah, they are. Um, they have problems to score. They're not good defensively. If you just watch how Paderborn scored the goals, that was kind of too easy. And you get the lead and you have to play, you have to keep playing forward. And just Ingolstadt struggled with that. And I'm just wondering, they still have players like Lescano or Kittel, which, are, which have a lot of experience in the first division as well. And still, Ingolstadt is not really the team they were a few years ago. Yeah, I mean... You know they're, they're under Jens Keller and and a manager that is relatively well respected, but he's come into a situation which has been left very much in 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 shambles through Stefan Lytle and Alexander Nuri. He's he's got them some structure, but even still, like they they can't score goals frequently, yeah. and then defensively they are guaranteed to make at least one mistake. Um, which was the case once again on 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 the weekend, um, but yeah, it, that this this international break is kind of a really good time for them. They need to reset. They've got you know you think about seven or eight games remaining uh, to save their season. Otherwise, they are going down, and and you know if they can't start picking up points, they're in real trouble. From Paderborn perspective, though, um, you were talking just off air how impressive they were, especially after going a goal behind. Uh, talk us through how. Philip Clement was able to uh, orchestrate the comeback. Like Philip Clement always plays strong this season. He's one of those talents. There are a lot of talents Paderborn has, which could be interesting to for many Bundesliga clubs as well. And Clement was just uh, the guy in the centre who orchestrated everything nicely. He has tremendous offensive talent if you just look at his goal. And um, yeah, he perfectly fits into that offence. And the offence has just a lot of talent. And it's fun to watch Paderborn this season. Yeah, they've been really enjoyable. They've, they've been able to maintain that um, sort of turbo style of football that they played in the Dritterliga last season. And and yeah, and we've seen it time and time again this season. They can turn it on whenever they feel like it. They did it against FC Köln um, earlier on in 2019. Uh, and they actually did it to them again. Uh, I think it was yesterday in a practice match. Um, yeah, which was quite, <laughs> which is quite funny. Was it five three? Yep. I think it was kind of that. Huh? Yeah, it is the second time they've scored five goals against Kion, but <laughs> <laughs> So that's um that's one that Kion fans might irk that they hope they don't play Paderborn ever again. Yeah, the, <laughs> <laughs> the um, our last group three game, and last group game of match day twenty six was in Sandhausen. 4-0 winners over St. Pauli and what has been a very rough stretch for the boys in Brown. Andrew Wooten opened the scoring on 34 minutes. Philip Forster scored goals either side of halftime and Fabian Schleusner scoring immediately after the break. What a shambolic defensive display by St. Pauli, uh, uh, Toby. And oh, they just look like a team that hasn't, hasn't gotten off losing that Hamburg derby. Yeah, I mean, a few weeks ago, they looked like the team who could actually have a chance to get promoted. And now they, I think they lost like two games now with four goals conceded. And that's just horrible. If you if you are defensively that 
poorly structured or organized. And I mean, uh, Dennis Diekmeyer was great for Sandhausen with his, I think it was two assists, or was yep, it? Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, it was two assists. He was great. And I watched St. Pauli, I, I think, a few weeks ago. And the thing is with them, they performed well during that stretch, but they weren't organized that well in possession and also defensively. So those inconsistencies were just a matter of time, I would say. And now it's getting really hard for them. And yeah, that season is more or less lost because they won't have a chance. Yeah, I tend to agree. It's it's quite weird with them. Like against the really good sides, them when they played Köln or Hamburg, even against Union Berlin, they have not only struggled but they've given up big game like goal games. So they they gave up four against Köln. They gave up four against Union when they played in Berlin. Uh, they obviously gave up four last week. But to give up four goals to Sandhausen is 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 almost inexcusable. They do not score a lot of goals. That is a fact. Uh, they. That just does not happen. I think the last time they scored four goals was against Ingolstadt, if my memory serves me correctly. So, yeah. so that tells you all you need to know. And, and and a massive win for them. And it actually takes them out of the yeah. relegation zone for the first time since match day 19. So maybe Uwe Koshinat has turned the circle for this team. Yeah, but they played also against Köln a few weeks ago. And they that was cool to see how much energy they had offensively in the first I think it was the first 20 minutes. And yeah, they just improved in that and play with energy, play vertically fast and with precision. And yeah, therefore, it's good to have them out of the relegation zone because I liked how they played in those games. Hopefully we see more of that. We shall see. We shall see. Of course, the uh, match day 27 is only less than a week away, so we will be watching with interest. That is all of our review of match day 26. We're going to take a quick break. To join us, we're going to delve into some Holstein Kiel football. it up this week's podcast we have decided to take a look at Holstein Kiel uh, a team that has you know gone through quite a lot of change this season with Tim Volter as the manager but yet they have continued to be a dominant force in the league sitting fifth at the moment heading into the international break and you know we thought why not bring in Toby who is has become an expert so to speak on Tim Volter and did a piece for total football analysis and we're going to take a look at that piece and we're going to have a look at how he compares to his predecessor in Marcus and Frank. So, Toby, I think the best way to start is with possession. Kiel are obviously a heavy possession side. Um, talk us through how they go through the build-up process and going forward. Yeah, definitely the build-up process is the most interesting thing to watch from Kiel because it's so unusual. Um, they kind of apply principles of positional play so that they are well-structured. But in the build-up process, it's like... Usually they play one pass from the centre-back to the full-back and then one of the centre-backs is moving into the midfield. So they create a diamond and build-up. The rest of their midfielders is pushing higher. So they easily get... If a team defends in a 4-4-2, Kiel has always that 4 versus 2 superiority. And with that, with that overload, they can easily build up. And they just move the ball extremely well. And they find those connections to midfield as well. For example, one of their central midfielders is dropping. They can use the third man concept to get behind the, the two striker line, for example. And the thing is, 
which so many teams in the second Bundesliga are defending men-oriented. And they really struggle against Kiel because Kiel is a lot, it's a lot about movement. It's a lot about dynamic occupation of spaces. And if you um, look at their captain, uh, Val, he, when he has the ball, he's so aggressive with like dribbling into the midfield. And that really makes a defense decide because they have to decide, okay, do I stay or do I pressure Val? And that creates a lot of chaos in the defense of every opponent. And they are doing it extremely well. And it's so unusual to see. Sometimes they only build up with two players and the two players are one of the center backs and the right back. And the rest of the players, the left back, Vandenberg, most of the time is moving a lot. He's going into the center, so they can always create an overload or open passing lanes to the wing. It's just really interesting to see, and everyone should watch more Kiel. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. You talked about Vandenberg, and he's someone that I kind of watch sparingly in terms when, when I watch Kiel because he he's so aggressive when he pushes up when yep. Kiel are in possession. But when they lose possession, they can get exploited quite quite badly and in the sense that they become the team with that is disadvantaged in the men. Tell me how they try to rectify that situation when they have when they've got players deep forward and they lose possession and the counter is coming the other way. Yeah, I mean that's the the highest risk they have. Because there are so many players up front. I mean, they always try to to overload um, the area close to the ball so they can counter press quickly, and they just rarely lose the ball in situations in which they don't have a chance to counter press. But if they do, like against Heidenheim, for example, then it's easy for an opponent to counter attack. And I mean, that's the flip side of Kiel's playing style that it's about it's so much risk. But that risk is actually worth it, I would say, because they just dominate every game. And if you look against teams like Aue this week, um, those teams don't have a plan on how to stop Kiel's offense. And the thing is, they with their midfielders moving higher up the pitch, they just push the opponent back. So the ways to counterattack for an opponent are actually very long. So they are not in the best situation to counterattack quickly. And that is maybe... Along with the good counter pressing of Kiel, those two aspects help them to stop counter attacks and yeah, that they can actually play that risky. Yeah, I do recall a situation against Union Berlin. It was the opening goal, and they, despite counter pressing the dominant ball side, they were still left exposed due to a long ball. Um, yep. And then obviously Felix Cross was able <clears throat> to score the opening goal. Um, so you, you look at those sorts of scenarios and you see what Tim Volt is trying to do, especially when they don't have possession. It's I don't want to say it's Jurgen Klopp esque, but it's that it's 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 kind of, it's a it's a very aggressive gig and press where they 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 lose possession. There there's two or three players that immediately are trying to win it back, um, and that's how they how we've seen this season where they they win the territory battles early on. Um, they put teams like our on the back foot, and then once they score two or three goals, they're they're in relative comfort. Um, do you want to talk about them in the final third? They've got a very dynamic front two. Uh, doesn't matter who they've played. They've had Schindler, uh, Yanni Lukasera, uh, has played up front. Same with Matthias Honsack, who they had on the weekend. Tell us what kind of movements we see from them um, that the midfielders are looking to find 
when producing the final ball to to the uh, in the final third? Yeah, it's a lot about um, combining quickly because you can actually sometimes observe things like, okay, they have a lot of players on the left side. They try to combine there. They're trying to find a way through, but then they switch to the other side and attack through the half space, and then they can actually create uh, isolation situations. And Schindler sometimes had that role being a second striker or winger, like both at the same time. And then they have so many players moving into the box. So especially after crosses that's just an advantage with Sarah who played a good season I think Mühling the midfielder who's always pushing into it or Benes this week um, yeah it's a lot about having the overload in the center and moving the ball quite well and then dynamically attack open spaces and that's a lot of Bundes second Bundesliga teams struggle with that yeah uh I just want to get your impression on Tim Volter as a whole, of course, come from Bayern München Zwei. Um, you know, it's essentially his, you know, biggest test having the first, having a first team sort of scenario. How do you think he's done in terms of, you know, you look at the Holstein Kiel side as a whole, he inherited a team that finished third last season. Uh, what's your impression? I mean, you've thoroughly gone through the, how Holstein Kiel play. There goes my drink bottle. Um, Ha, tell, tell us um, what your impressions of and, and I think even off air, I think you mentioned you wouldn't mind him moving up to a to say a, a Bayern Munich job in the future. I mean, yeah, definitely, because he is one of the most interesting coaches to watch. And um, I mean, Kiel was actually an interesting side under Anfang as well last season, <coughs> with sometimes using inverted fullbacks, but they weren't that radically in their playing style. So. They did a few, they applied a few concepts of positional play and they were actually dominant as well. But it was less unusual like this season. So maybe that was the strength of Anfang's team because they were better prepared for counterattacks and better structured defensively. On the other side, uh, Tim Walter, Tim Walter's playing style just created a lot of offensive power. And I could, I, yeah. Tim Walter in the, in the first Bundesliga would be really cool to see because then he would have better players which make less mistakes because that was actually a problem for Kiel. If you play that risky and you make one individual mistakes, yeah, you certainly concede, concede a goal because, of course, if the right back loses the ball in a two versus two situation, then yeah, you don't have a chance. And I mean, there are a lot of Bundesliga teams as well who could need a new coach next season. I don't think that he would come to Bayern that quickly because there were a lot of internal stuff. Like, I don't know what's going on on Bayern, and I think they will continue with Kovac. But in the future, why not? Tim Walter can actually develop, and I hope he, when he would just switch his job and go to another Bundesliga team, that he gets a team with a lot of talent and actually time to develop his playing style. Yeah, I mean, there's a team in the Ruger beat that. Uh is looking for a new coach at the end of the season. Uh, I hope they're listening because he's certainly a coach that should be um, very much on the lookout list. Um, just for those who actually want to read uh, Toby's piece, go by the February or even the March edition of Total Football Analysis magazine. It's only £5. Uh, it's a fantastic read of football analytics, you know, plenty of great content something that you should go and buy it. Toby before you go is there anything you'd like to promote 
Um, I'm sitting on a piece about um, Sassuolo's coach, Deserbi. So if you like positional play and you like spectacular teams, you should actually take a look at that piece. It will run next week, I think on Wednesday, on Total Football Analysis. So, yeah, that's my work for next week. Very good. Uh, for those who are interested, obviously, in the Spider Bundesliga, uh, I have a match analysis of Dresden and Magdeburg, which is already up on Football Bloody Hell. And then next week, I have a piece coming out on Hamburg manager Hannes Wolf. So certainly something to look out for. Toby, thank you for joining us on the, on the Spider Bundesliga podcast. It's been a real pleasure. Thanks for having me here. That's that was really fun. <laughs> it's been our pleasure. We'd like to have you on once again. We thank you for joining us on the Spider Bundesliga podcast. Enjoy the international break and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Ja,